Um, like, uh, this is going to sound like a ridiculous comparison. Scooby-Doo, the movie. <laughs> that involves... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense, Where though. the hell did that God. come out from? I swear to God, it makes sense. <laughs> and the five people who saw that movie will know what I'm talking about. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. And you heard right, everybody. You heard that voice. Amy's back. (laughs) Yay, I'm back, bitches. I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I can't say I expected that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that either, but it came out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure all of our listeners are very happy, as am I. And, you know, before we start, I just want to thank once again the amazing guests who joined me over the past few weeks Tara Kearns, Josh, and Lee Winika of Tabletop Journeys. And the hilarious Paige Branson. Thank you guys so much. But now I am just so thrilled to have my girl back. <laughs> yes, I'm glad to be back too. I'm well rested and ready to talk all Marvel movies. And thank you everyone for all your good wishes. I'm very grateful. And I think we are covering the perfect movie today for your return. And that, of course, is Eternals. Yes, I'm actually really looking forward to discussing this movie. Me too. And we've both watched it twice now and mm-hmm. come to an, an agreed upon conclusion. And that is, this movie is weird. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's funny. I mean, we don't have really strong feelings about the movie, but yet there's so much to discuss. Yeah, because they scratched the surface of a lot of stuff here. There's really mm-hmm. not much depth to the movie, but they managed to spread things around in such a way that had me thinking so much, more so than anything we've covered really, or anything I've covered uh, with our guests in the recent past, but in a different way. So we're not going to go beat by beat through this movie, everybody. Uh, and one of the reasons is because it is two hours and 38 minutes long. Yes, and we do have a tendency of going longer than the movie itself, so we don't want to be recording for three hours. Yeah, and it's just not the kind of movie that lends itself to that format. So we're going to do, like we did with Black Widow, we're going to do more of an overview here. But like I said, there's still a lot to look at. Yes. And I think for both of us, me in particular, uh, (laughs) the weirdest thing about the movie was not having those any kind of feelings towards it whatsoever, let alone strong feelings. Yeah. I remember when I saw the movie for the first time, I sat down, I was like, huh, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't like it either. Mm-hmm. It's okay. After my first watch, I was giving it six out of 10. Mm-hmm. And upon my second watch this week, I'm giving it a five out of 10 because it was tougher to get through the second time. I wouldn't know how to rate this movie at all. So I'm abstaining. The one rating we have agreed on is that it is better than Thor The Dark World. That's our benchmark. Yes. To be fair, anything is better than Thor The Dark World. I mean, I have 
been recently watching the old James Bond movies, and those are better than than Thor: The Dark World. Oh, without question. Yeah, misogyny aside. No, I would still rather watch The Dark World because even though that is interminable, it is forty minutes shorter than Eternals. So that's the only reason for me. I think we truly, tr- I swear to God, truly, because Wait, that let movie me is say rough. It. Let I know, no, I know what you're going to say, <laughs> and it's not true this time. You tell yourself that. <laughs> you know, actually, one thing that really surprised me was that you weren't simping on any of the guys. We're going to get to that. Yeah, there were some casting decisions I would not have made for this movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So we are going to start off here by talking about the overall plot and structure of this movie. Right. So to put it very, very succinctly, the plot is these Eternals came 7,000 years ago. They were supposed to save humans from the deviants. And that's it. But we find out that the reason they had to save humans from the deviants was because a celestial is taking their energy of intelligent life on the planet to grow and crack the planet like an egg and be born. Right. And we'll be upfront here. We are not familiar with Eternals in the comics, so we're not basing any of our opinions off that. But I will say this, and and it kind of just came to my mind as you were talking about it. I know it comes from the comics, but man, I'm just not crazy about the term deviance. Mm-hmm. It brings uh, negative connotations to my mind. I Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It, especially, you know, in this day and age, as far as society has come in its acceptance of the LGBTQ community, the word deviant just sticks in my mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. So overall... We're both in agreement that Chloe Zhao, the director, and these writers, they tried to cram way too much exposition and history into this two and a half hour movie. You know, honestly, I don't have a problem too much with the exposition and the history because we have had other movies that have given us a lot of exposition in the past. Marvel movies. The problem here is that there are too many people and that's why it's getting all lost. Yeah, with this many new characters and unfamiliar concepts, you've got to slow down and establish a foundation. Because what we end up with is a movie that is simultaneously too long and not enough. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And I'm the one here that's good with names. And I still couldn't remember everybody's name by the end of the movie. Which makes me feel better because I need IMDb open for this recording. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll be like, what's his name and what's her name? I don't know. You're not alone. And I am already dreading spelling everybody's name correctly on social media. Okay, I'm very glad that's not me. Good for you. More (laughs) power to you. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what was driving me a little crazy? And this is nothing against the movie. This is just me. All the apex predator talk of like, no, don't take me back to Wonder Woman 84, please. (laughs) Yeah, you know, actually, I'm confused about that. So Cersei was working at the museum, right? I'm confused about that, too. She walks into a museum and then she's teaching a class of kids. Yeah, what was... Was Dane Whitman their teacher and she was just the guest speaker? I wasn't quite sure about that. I don't know. 
And this is another reason why they should have taken time if they had cut this into two movies or like you had preferred a series. They needed to take a lot more time to build these relationships that are so pivotal to the plot. Yeah, not only the relationships, but the characters themselves. Right. They, we don't know them. We don't care for them at all. I think if you take a show like Sense8, have you seen it? No. Okay. It's a show where there are eight people all unified with like they can they can hear each other's thoughts all right and they can be random from across the globe and that's how it was the show had these eight random people who suddenly snap a finger were able to get into each other's minds and experience each other's lives it sounds confusing and it was but they did it so well and we started to really care and love these eight characters you know and had they done something like that with the show made it a series even if it's a 10 episode series it would have been so much better right and not every movie needs that but this one did yes there are too many characters that's the problem and you know i felt there was some laziness too in terms of exposition with that opening text you have that much you know explanatory text like that opening a movie it rarely works of course worked in star wars very well more modern example of that works great in Gladiator because it's giving us information we don't necessarily need for the movie itself. It's just a little, here's why this happened. But in this case, we needed to see this. We, we needed more than just text on a screen. I would disagree there. I mean, it gave us some pivotal information and it also hinted at what was coming in the movie later. It gave us the information we needed and there was already so much to cram in. I think if we would have had to see that as well, this would have ended up being a three hour movie. That's exactly what I mean. That's the problem. Split it up and show us, which they could have done, you know, in a series. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up about foreshadowing because I have a question about that too. Mm -hmm. So I was immediately suspicious when the Eternals weren't allowed to interfere in human conflicts but they were allowed to aid in technological innovation. And my mm -hmm. question is, were we supposed to be suspicious? Was this a kind of foreshadowing? And if so, it's hard to believe that the Eternals themselves, especially Fastos, as he seems like the smartest one, and he's the one helping with the technology, it's hard to believe they didn't see this as a major philosophical red flag. I didn't see the foreshadowing earlier on, but when the reveal happened, then everything fell into place. It made sense. I would understand them not questioning it because they have this almost fanatical belief in the, their celestial Arashem. They certainly do. And I'm going to get more into that later on. I found that very interesting as well. Mm -hmm. It brings up the question, were they programmed to not question it? That's interesting. Yeah, and because we have that other whole twist of, and we're going to spoil everything early on, guys. So if you haven't watched the movie already, what are you doing? Go hit Disney Plus. Yeah, go. Then come back. But. <laughs> so we have that whole other twist of they are not technically people. They are synthetic beings that were created and programmed. So 
you know, you've got a point there about potential fail safes and memory blocks, that sort of thing. Right. I mean, they have been wiped and sent to another planet every time. This isn't their first planet. So, right. So even if they had questioned something earlier on on another planet, they've just been wiped and sent here as a blank slate. Plus the programming of they have to follow Arisham's rules. Now, I do want to touch on humans for a second. Humans we see very little of. We have these crazy new monsters that have invaded the world. New superheroes mm-hmm. that have emerged in the world. We got lots of witnesses to this, tons of videos. Like, this is global news, right? Right. Except outside of our group of Eternals, we don't see, like, humanity reacting to any of this. There's no connection, really, to the outside world. We see Dane Whitman react just a little bit. Uh, Fastest's Mm -hmm. husband. And (laughs) I need a little bit more of a reaction than they offered, to be honest. But beyond that, I just feel completely disconnected to humanity, especially for a movie that's so focused on saving humanity. We do get a reaction from the kids, but I also think that the fact that we don't see humanity too much or reacting too much, uh, the reaction from humans too much, is by design. How so? Or why? Because throughout the movie, we see these people as, they think of themselves as other. They're not human. They're not, they're not one of us. And we see that in their behavior as well. And even now, they're looking at themselves as benevolent people. And everything that they're doing is for us. They're not with us. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And if we go with that idea, it makes me think less of them. Yeah. I think it's supposed to. This movie, yes, we have a good guy and a bad guy, but even the good guy is doing some gray stuff and the bad guy was supposed to be the hero. And of course we have the deviants, but the deviants are not actually the bad guys. They were designed to do what they're doing. There's a lot of gray. There's too much gray. I think, because the movie is lacking a true villain that we can latch on to, that we can feel or touch, you know, feel anything towards. Icarus is not a true villain. No. You know who the true villain is? There's a couple of possibilities for that. No, the Celestials are the true villain. Arisham is the true villain. Well, the problem there for me is that Like I just said, Arishem ends up being more like Zordon on the Power Rangers. He has no texture. He has no characterization, really. It's just a voice in the air. And there's really no character there, just an entity. You know what Arishem needed to be more like was um, the timekeepers at the TVA. So six episodes on Loki, we didn't find out the timekeepers weren't even real till the very end, but it didn't matter because throughout that show, the timekeepers were there in every scene. You could feel their presence no matter what was happening. They were lurking over that show like a dark black cloud, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was nothing like that in this movie. If Arishim wasn't on the screen, I forgot about him. 
But wasn't Arishim there always simply because he programmed these Eternals and the Deviants? Well, remember, we don't find that out for a little while. Yes. So it's not from the beginning. And mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't feel that way because the script doesn't give that to us. My biggest problem with this movie is that there are fantastic themes to delve into. But because of the lack of time and introducing so many characters, we're unable to do that. That's a really good way to put it. And as far as Arishem and the Celestials go, I felt like considering this is our introduction to these characters, the stakes were way too high for this first outing. Like when you you think about all that's happening here, billions and billions of lives at stake, worlds, universes... These were like endgame level stakes, and mm-hmm. it was not earned at all. It, it felt very much like if Marvel had made the Avengers in 2012 without any of the establishing movies, and then also tried to combine the Avengers with aspects of Civil War. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And also, a part of it can also just be fatigue. We're so used to so many Marvel movies having such large stakes. Aside from Infinity War, all the others, you know, the good guy wins. So this is kind of that. Like, I remember thinking during that earthquake scene with the kids, the kids were freaking out and some of them were under the table and one stupid girl was hiding under some huge stone, which like, stupid girl, like, girl, you're supposed to go under the table. You're not supposed to go hide under a stone that could fall on you. Jesus, she's a kid and it's London. They don't have earthquakes there. Calm down. The reason I was thinking that was because you're living (laughs) in the MCU world. (laughs) Let me finish. (laughs) So what, you think she was a a toddler during Thor The Dark World and she should fucking know better? You know how during the Cold War you guys had, (laughs) you know, hide under the table training? In MCU land, you know, people should be more calm about this stuff. It's like (laughs) every other day, some bad guys showing up and destroying half the planet. (laughs) Jesus, I thought I was tough on kids these days. Man, (laughs) good thing both of us don't have any. Yeah, I know. I'm not saying only for the kids. I'm saying people in general. Like, you don't need to freak out. Every other day, something's happening. (laughs) Just to have life insurance. That's it. That's all you can do. God. So, like I said before, don't know anything about Eternals in the comics, but as far as cinematic universes go, I felt a real X-Men vibe with this movie, more so than like the split in Civil War, because of the powers and these particular ideological differences that they had. Mm -hmm. And this issue for me is reinforced by the man I would not have cast in this movie and that is Richard Madden because you know I say this about people sometimes how they look like others morph together but I've never seen it quite so obvious and concrete as with Richard Madden he is a combination of Sebastian Stan and Michael Fassbender you put their faces together I swear to god this is what you get to make it so much like the X-Men split when he looks so much like Magneto And then you have Sprite, like, stepping into the Mystique role. I had that in my mind. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, fair. I get that. And I had some trouble following at times, too. I found the flashbacks clunky. Wasn't crazy about the way the movie was edited. Clearly, they were doing an Avengers-style team-up in the beginning, but it was too jumbled for me. Those flashbacks were the foundation of these characters, of these relationships, and I think the movie would have been better served if they had been front-loaded. Like, for example, if that twist scene of Icarus visiting Ajax on the ranch, if that had been the only flashback, I think it would have been much more effective and resonant. Only flashback in the entire movie? I mean, I'd have to see it. Put it this way. If they had done it in a series, you know, or, or two movies, I think it would have been better served if things had been sequential. Um, like, uh, this is going to sound like a ridiculous comparison. Scooby-Doo, the movie. <laughs> that involves... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> It makes sense. Where the hell did that come out from? I swear to God, it makes sense. (laughs) And the five people who saw that movie will know what I'm talking about. Because that movie, like, opens with uh, the gang getting back together after years of being apart for various reasons. And I feel like if we had had the first movie of, you know, earlier times. And then they brought us the second movie where everybody, you know, that first movie would have ended with Ajax saying, okay, you guys are free. Everybody go your own way, different stakes, whatever it was, but you're free now. Everybody go your own way. Maybe there was some monster at uh, Babylon, monster at Tenochtitlan, whatever. I probably butchered that pronunciation. Sorry, everybody. But then the second movie or the third or fourth episode, whatever, could have opened with let's get the gang back together and all the stragglers. So we've already built a foundation with these people. We understand the char- who the characters are and their dynamics. Yeah, again, it comes back to the same thing. Too many people, too much happening to bring it all together. I don't think that the editing was a problem in terms of the flashback. It did serve the story. It did push the story forward each time. Yes, it did. It did. I just feel like it's the difference between a smooth ride and a nice luxury vehicle. And then as compared to, you know, going down the street in a jalopy that's clunking the whole way. (laughs) I think you would have felt different if, if there were less characters. Very possibly. And also the flashbacks, again, centered more around Icarus and Cersei than they did with everyone. Like yeah. The only the only major flashback where we have everyone really involved is when Tina is having her problem. That's it. Right. All right. So let's start talking about these people, shall we? Okay. IMDb. <laughs> I was mighty confused by all of these characters. And between you and I, there's some, you know, cultural difference aspect to this. And part of that'll be, you know, with you guys listening too. I grew up in North Jersey. I am from a melting pot, an ethnic family myself, and, you know, grew up with so many different kinds of families where, you know, ethnicity was a thing people were either proud of or not proud of, but it, there was a very much an awareness. So for a movie that has this many characters with this many different accents, and outlandish names, 
with mythology all over the place. I was like, wait, no, she doesn't look Greek. Is she supposed to look Greek? He shouldn't be Scottish. <laughs> wait, why is this guy playing the guy from Mesopotamia? Wait, I don't understand. It also took me 15 minutes to figure out how to say Cersei's name. And it was Richard <laughs> Madden of all people who made me realize how to say it. Okay. Yeah, I remember when we spoke about it first, I said Cersei and you said, oh, that's how you say it. Okay. And then I hear him say Cersei. I'm like, okay, I got it. Um, I shouldn't understand the <laughs> Scottish the best, but apparently I do. Because I thought Dane was calling her saucy. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. What? Yeah. Where the hell did you get that from? From Kit Harrington. That's who. And we couldn't have called Sprite Pixie because... We hear her name before we see her. And I'm like, Soda? Why are we talking about Soda? <laughs> you know, actually, these names have meanings. And we will get into that. And you should know, everybody listening, that, you know, Amy went to the trouble of looking up the mythology of all these characters, the real mythology, and putting it all into a document, which I read and only made me more confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's because it's written in my shorthand. You cannot try to understand that. No, it's because I found even more discrepancies after reading yes. that. But that's the point. This is fictional. Anyways, talking about the ethnicities of people, just think about this. Many of these names come from Greek mythology. What if all of them looked Greek? We already are having a problem trying to remember who's who. If they all looked the same... We'd be very, very confused. I totally get that. And I agree with you. And I'm not saying everybody had to look Greek because apparently it seems like maybe they're not they're not supposed to look Greek anyway. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. here's here's the thing is you've got these fictional characters, but you've got real actors. So here's where I go, wait a second. If anybody should be named Gilgamesh, shouldn't it have been Kamal Manjani's character? Because Gilgamesh is from Mesopotamian lore, whereas Kingo in the comics was training with samurai and became a Japanese action star. So even though Don Lee is ethnically Korean, wouldn't you make him Kingo? Because he at least can pass more for Japanese than Kamel Nanjani. Okay, so here's the thing. I think it makes sense for all these characters to be of different ethnicities and yet have the mythos of them written in different civilizations because they have traveled across these civilizations. We see them in Babylon. We see them. We see them in the Gupta era. So it makes sense because they have traveled the world. And at least according to the movie, they have been there. They have been saving people and they have been at all these major civilizations where major progress has been made. So it's understandable for people to create these stories about them, conveniently forgetting that they're not, they don't look like them. If you look at the mythology that these characters come from, they're all considered gods and goddesses. So it's understandable for them to not look like them, the people. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a point there. So while we're on the subject, I do want to give tons of credit to Chloe Zhao and the casting directors. The diversity in this movie is the best part about it, I think. 
Yeah, and they have made some changes from the comics. Yes, and sometimes comics need updating. A lot of times, comics need updating. So good on that. Yeah. Yep. And what I really found refreshing that of all these characters, there are only three white men in this movie. We have men and women of all different colors, a deaf woman, and a gay man who was actually allowed to be gay. Yeah. It wasn't portrayed in a negative way or played off for jokes, which was fantastic. Yeah, they have a great relationship, clearly. Yeah, yeah. And they have more chemistry than our lead couple. They certainly do. And there's also nothing forced about this diversity. It felt very natural. No color for the sake of color, no tokens. And I absolutely applaud Zhao and the movie for this. Mm -hmm. And I also applaud Kamal Najani for being in the shape that he is. He looks fantastic, even if it was completely and totally unnecessary for his character. Yeah. The only thing he needed to work out were his fingers. Yeah. And it's especially noticeable as unnecessary because Bastos ain't in shape. <laughs> Gilgamesh is certainly... Yeah. Gilgamesh is certainly not in shape. Druig is you know, pretty scrawny looking. And well, Richard Madden, he's just Richard Madden. He always looks like that. Yeah. So he doesn't count. If he doesn't look like that, he doesn't get a job. Pretty much. Yep. And it's, yeah, there's a reason for that. If this movie's anything to go by. <laughs> True. Yeah, so, so we're, we're here. We have reached this topic. Okay. So I was fully expecting to be salivating over Richard Madden in this movie. Uh, you guys know mm -hmm. a Amy is the Game of Thrones fans here. I'm not. Uh, I saw a little bit of it, you know, while my husband had it on, but I wasn't a fan. Correction. Correction. Was a Game of Thrones fan. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to hear about this one later. Anyway. Yes, you will. Richard Madden did absolutely nothing for me in this movie because, to quote previous guest uh, Paige Branson, he is a plank of wood. A plank of wood has more grooves in it. <laughs> yeah, I would not have cast him for this movie. And I wonder if before they made the final casting decisions for Icarus and Cersei, if they did a screen test between Madden and Gemma Chan. I don't know, because if they didn't, they really should have, or they should have recast one of them at least once the dailies started coming in because they don't have any chemistry no no they make chris hemsworth and natalie portman look like a fireball in comparison true richard madden is just devoid of any kind of charisma whatsoever he is the definition of a ken doll in this and part of the problem i have with him is because and i'll get into why throughout the episode is because he looks so much like Fassbender and Sebastian Stan, who are two major Marvel characters, and things happen in this where I'm like, you can't have this resemblance to them. You can't. That wasn't the issue for me. The problem was that he just, he was so straight-faced. Like, no matter what was happening, he, yep. he couldn't show any emotion. Yep. Which is weird, because on Game of Thrones, he was fantastic as Rob Stark. He had more emotion. I think a lot of it comes down to the script. Probably. But okay, even something like Ajax's death. 
Ajax's death. No, Ajax. Ajax. See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, even with Ajax's death, you have him conflicted. He's in pain because he lost one of his friends who he's known for an eternity. And he also has the guilt of killing her. The only thing he could do was just shoot lasers out of his eyes. Like they had to do that to show that he was conflicted. Yeah. He could have done so much more, but I don't understand why he was just so almost like he was Botoxed or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hesitate to call it a sex scene because I'm not exactly sure what that was. <laughs> Besides awkward and uncomfortable. Both physically and emotionally. Okay, look. I know it's been a while for me. All right? <laughs> I mean, well, the last time I had sex, you know, the Ottoman Empire still existed. <laughs> but if someone is balls deep in you, or vice versa... <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you do not confess your love. For the first time like that. It's not even that. It's why are you outside on the ground? Yeah. I mean, you have a perfectly good spaceship. Yeah. You have beds. Why? What are we doing? Yeah. And it seemed cold. Well, I think it was beyond cold. I think it was pretty goddamn dry, too, judging by uh, Gemma Chan's reaction there. You know, we would know more if, if she actually had an expression. That would be nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. God, was that uncomfortable. Yeah. It looked more like just like two people trying to fit inside one sleeping bag together. Maybe this was the first time they were trying to have sex and didn't know what they were doing. <sighs> I don't know. What I do know is that there was much better chemistry between Fastos and his husband and even Thena and Gilgamesh. Yes, they were more compelling. Shit, even Kingo and his valet were better together. That at least had like a fatherly <laughs> feel to it, as ridiculous as it was. Yeah, yeah. Even Makari and Druig, we hardly see them as a couple, but they are a couple. You can clearly make that out. We wouldn't know that Icarus and Cersei were a couple if they didn't just shove it down our throats. I did love Kingo's reaction to Druig and Makari. Is this new? Because I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made me laugh. Yeah. But now we must talk about the one person who is wasted entirely in this movie, Selma Hayek. What? what Absolutely. Why? why? Yeah. That woman is a firecracker. In more ways than one. Mm -hmm. For some of us, yes. Mm -hmm. And you have her just placidly saying these lines with nothing behind them. Why? Okay, Selma Hayek is hot. She's sexy. She's amazing. She can be uh, seductress. She can be your worst enemy. And mm -hmm. she can play it fantastically. But the lines that were given to her over here and the way it was portrayed, this could have been given to a white-haired grandma and it would have worked better. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a theory on that. Okay. And this has been a very tough thing for Amy to accept uh, this past week, but I'm proud of her. She's handling it well. She's being mature about it. 
Mm-hmm. Kit Harrington was also underutilized in this movie. He gives the second best performance after Angelina Jolie. And we only see him for maybe 15 minutes, probably less. <clears throat> I need to clear my throat before I say <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Anyone who's ever heard any of our previous episodes know I'm not his biggest fan. But in this movie, he actually looked human. He he did a good job. He smiled, which was something I never thought I'd ever see on his face. He did a good job. Yeah. That's actually why, even though we both knew he was in this movie going into it, both my husband and I were looking at each other at the beginning going, is that Kit Harrington? We weren't quite sure because he looked so normal. Yeah. And he seemed to be enjoying his role. Yeah. And I actually had quite a bit of respect for his character in wanting to still stay with Cersei at the end of the movie. Why would that be a problem? Because think about it. She's leading potentially this like super dangerous life. All kinds of things can happen. It's going to be a difficult relationship to be in with her not aging. They're not going to be able to stay in one place forever because of that. There's going to be a lot of complications and difficulties and his life would be a hell of a lot simpler, easier if he chose to leave and be with somebody else. But he's taken the hard way because he loves her. Yeah, that's true. And also, we know that Dane Whitman is the Black Knight, which is something that he's discovered while all this other stuff was happening in the movie. So we don't know what else is going on in his mind. We don't know whether he's going to be essentially frozen in time, not aging or something like that. We don't know what his powers are. Yeah, I wanted to see that story, to be honest. I would have rather seen that story than any of this nonsense going on between Icarus and Cersei. Which I think we will. This was just an introduction to him, almost like a teaser. And I think we will see more of him later on and what happened there. Sure. So I mentioned I, th- I have a theory on uh, Selma Hayek's casting here, not just hers. So, and this is something we've talked about all week, is that unlike the early Marvel franchises, mm-hmm. there are lots of big names in this movie. When the MCU yeah. was launched with the first three franchises, Robert Downey Jr. was the only known quantity in those movies. And even for him, he was on the rebound. He was like desperately trying to resurrect his career. Everybody else was either little known or completely unknown, with the exception of supporting characters, smaller supporting characters. But the main heroes were unknowns. Correct. And that gave us an opportunity to see the character, to love the character, and then love the actors as an extension of that. Exactly. And what I think was going on here with casting, I think it was a bit of a money grab. To me, it seemed like they cast this movie based on differences in generation, culture, and, and fandom as a shortcut way to attract people to the movie. You have Jolie and Hayek, who are early 50s, you know, super hot women of, of the 90s and 2000s for not only older men, but also women who are contemporaries of them and have always loved them. And then you have Don Lee, who can bring in fans of movies like Train to Busan and that whole genre of filmmaking. Then you have Nanjani and Harrington, who can bring in even more millennials, we'll say, to the mix. And Richard Madden as well. True. Yes, Madden as well. 
And then, uh, oh, I didn't need Harry Styles. <laughs> He's for the younger ones. No, thank you. No, thank you. Well, I don't know. I'm reserving judgment on him till we see more of him. The, the casting just felt very trendy in that way. Yeah, it did. And But the problem is that I get your theory and for any other movie, it would make sense. But the MCU doesn't need the cash grab. They know that people are going to come and see the movie. I know you're right. I just can't think of any other reason for this casting. I don't know either. And the problem that I was also having with this movie was that I couldn't see past the celebrity of these actors. Yeah, I had that problem with Angelina. I've never been a fan of hers. And it's because of the baggage that she brings to everything. But uh, to her credit, on my second watch, I was able to see past that and really see through to the character. She's great in this movie. I don't know why she's blonde, but she's great. Yeah, she's great. And I feel like even though she is great and given the most to work with in terms of emotional depth, she's still wasted. Because if you see her in Maleficent at that time, everyone thought, oh, she's just going to be eye candy, you know, as Maleficent. And Nobody took her seriously in terms of her acting skills because it was all about how sexy she was. But she blew everyone away with how she took that character and owned it and really made you feel for her. Mm -hmm. And in this, what we're seeing, as good as she is, is merely a fraction of what she's capable of. Right. So speaking to that, let's move on here to really talk about this script and like we said early on neither of us really felt anything watching the movie and that's because there's really no heart here no depth a lot of important and necessary elements are present but they're not necessarily executed properly and that depth isn't part of it yeah i mean it checks all the boxes of an mcu movie a superhero movie and it even checks the boxes of the hot men and women in it. But there's no soul. Well, it's interesting you say that about hot men and women, because I actually think to Chloe Zhao's great credit, no one is sexualized in this movie. Even with True. this pseudo sex scene, no one is objectified. And yes, I agree. I particularly noticed that Richard Madden's shirt actually fit rather than it being two sizes too small like Chris Evans. <laughs> there are no shirtless yeah. scenes i don't count the the pseudo sex scene where you just like see his bare back a little bit there's no mm -hmm. shirtless scenes for richard madden or kamel nanjani there's no cleavage or ass shots for the women and here's what i wonder about kamel nanjani since it wasn't necessary for the character i wonder was it his choice did he want to get in super shape for it maybe he was expecting a shirtless scene that didn't happen <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like with the way Richard E. Grant was expecting a muscle suit. <laughs> and just, Probably. oh man. <laughs> man, that would suck if you trained for like six months for that and then found out there was absolutely no reason for it. Man, I'd go get it taken myself. I'd go have like boudoir photos taken and have it put all over the internet. <laughs> well, he did manage to get to show off his biceps. I mean, that's about it. Yeah. And I also really appreciate the fact that with such a diverse cast, 
they chose to make the one sort of bad guy in the group the Ken doll. Yeah. Here's a problem, though. We don't meet everyone. Makari's the last. We don't meet everyone till an hour and 31 minutes into this movie. Yeah, that's true. And actually, that is something that I noticed because we took time to go and pick everyone up, which is expected in a movie like this where you're bringing everyone together. It almost feels like towards the end, they lost steam. They got tired of trying to pick everyone up and bring them and give them individual stories of where they are doing something. They just basically kept Makari in the spaceship ready for everyone to come back. Yeah, well, in a movie like this, a team-up style movie, you've got to have everybody together in the first 20 minutes. You've got to make that happen. Mm-hmm. But I get why they did it that way. I get why they had the conflict with everyone coming in. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been interesting. At least with Druig's conflict, it made sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was kind of the banner of the group, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going through everybody here, we have Sprite, who I found analogous to uh, Kirsten Dunst in Interview with a Vampire, who was turned into a vampire by Brad Pitt when she was like 11, 12 years old. So Sprite actually does, doesn't have any Greek mythos to her, but European folklore tends to have this idea of Sprites or mischievous childlike fairies who tend to be playing tricks. So that makes sense when it comes to Sprite's character. And an interesting thing, in the comics, Sprite was actually a boy. So I would have liked to have seen her story explored a little bit more. Not just her, but Druig too. This idea of they have such long lives, but what have they been denied? For Sprite, she's been denied becoming a woman. For Druig, you know, let's get into his struggle a little bit more. That could have been really meaty, this idea of free will versus interference for the greater good and, you know, what it's done to him as a person. I've never seen that actor before. Uh, what's his name? Barry Kagan? Kogan? Yeah, that's Irish and I have no idea how to say it. I feel like he was held back too. And I've never even seen him in anything. But he, I just got the sense that he was more capable than he was allowed to be. Yeah, I think so. So what is Druig in mythology? There's no specific mythos to him. But he could be part of the Celtic mythology of Druids, where they're teachers and priests and they have a lot of devout followers. Right, which makes sense since he is Irish. Yeah. And in the comics, Druig is a member of the KGB and Icarus's cousin. Yeah, they just had to confuse me with the KGB. Like, no, don't bring the <laughs> Russians into this too. Which I think is interesting because Druig in this, in the movie, he wants peace and right. clearly he seems to be he seems to think that the ends justify the means and he does have this gray aspect to him like yes we as people completely disagree with the fact uh, that anyone should be mind controlled but he's doing it to keep peace but right. well shouldn't we have the choice he's effectively taking away free will right so even though he is a hero in the movie at the end, he does the right thing and he's on the side of saving the humans. Again, right thing and all of that is another philosophy thing that I'll be discussing later. Mm -hmm. But is he really a good guy? There, There's the question because you also have to take into consideration 
what that does to a person. And he mentions that very briefly of what that does when you could stop so much pain and bloodshed, but you don't, no matter the, you know, the mm-hmm. philosophical reasons behind it, that would break a person. True. So as for Sprite here, I will talk about her in relation to Icarus in a minute, but as for her individually, I was so glad she got her wish to become human and be allowed to grow up and mature physically. That was wonderful, but it got ruined for me on, you know, like the B side of that cut, where instead of seeing her flourishing and loving her life as a human, really, we're whining about school? (laughs) Who made that choice? Who thought that was a good idea? She's just a shitty kid now? I mean, she has been pretty shitty from the moment we saw her. If I wasn't allowed to grow up for 7,000 years, I'd be pretty pissed too. Yeah, and her change in circumstance of becoming human hasn't changed her personality. Yeah, it, it was a problem. Big problem for me. Yeah, but how much more human can you be? We always think, people generally, that... We want to get away, like especially a lot of people when they're having troubles, they want to get away. They want to run away, start fresh. But they think that they're running away and they'll have a perfect life after that. But they don't realize the problem is within themselves. They're trying to run away, but they want to run away from themselves. They can't do that. So their problems follow them or they create the same problems. That argument, I absolutely see what you're saying. That argument doesn't fly from here because of the supernatural aspect of it, because she really did have a legitimate problem in that she was never allowed to be a woman despite having the brain of an adult. So she gets the wish she's been waiting for for 7,000 years. If nothing else, if nothing else, the audience needs to be able to be happy for her. We deserve to see her enjoy life and be happy it just took the wind out of my sails to see her bitching about school which is fair and yeah that is what teenagers do and again she's bitching about school because in her mind she's lived through the stuff that she's learning she's gonna be frustrated frustration isn't gonna go till people start actually treating her like an adult and even then it's been her default for so long I wouldn't be surprised if she turns out to be a bitter, bitter adult. Well, hopefully she discovers therapy. (laughs) So like we mentioned, it's Thena who has the richest story here. Mm -hmm. So you want to give us a little background on uh, Athena, goddess of war? Right. So we finally get to the Greek mythology over here, which most of the other characters are uh, originate from. So Thena is Athena the Greek goddess of warfare, and she is regarded as the patron and protectress of various cities across Greece, particularly Athena. That's where most most likely where she got her name from. And in the comics, she is blonde and had a secret love affair with Crow. Crow was the deviant that that she fought in the end at the cave. I'd like to see the logistics of that. I would pass. And we kind of see that little Easter egg in the movie itself. He speaks to her the most. But it can also be passed off as him having Gilgamesh's memories. Yes. 
And I also really enjoyed Bastos and his family and that struggle that he was going through. That was a good performance by Brian Tyree Henry. I just wish we could have met him earlier and seen more of him. Yeah, true. I think he was the most human of them all. You took the words right out of my mouth. So who is he in lore? So in Greek mythology, Phastos could possibly be Hephaestus. I don't know if that is right. He is the god of blacksmiths, the forge, craftsmen, basically anyone who creates things. Makes sense. And in the comics, he is an engineer and an inventor. And now we come to Circe. Now, to be fair, I did actually feel a connection with Circe. When she mm -hmm. was having all that trouble contacting Arishem, couldn't figure out how to talk to him. I was like, girl, I get it. I've tried to get a person at the post office. I know what this is like. You know, trying to get a customer <laughs> service rep. It's fucking impossible these days. So I empathize uh -huh. with her there. But uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, well, she shouldn't have too much of a problem but because according to Greek mythology, she is a goddess. But her name is spelled differently. It's C-I-R-C-E. Don't confuse me. Don't confuse me with any more <laughs> spellings. Well, in the comics, she was originally as Circe C-I-R-C-E. I'm going to kill it's you. It's later on. They changed her to S-E-R-S-E. -E. I hate you. <laughs> so she's the daughter of Helios, the sun god, and of the ocean nymph Percy. The mythos is that she's able to change humans into animals. So Ajax chose Circe to be the leader. And I don't know how, you know, Zhao and the producers just didn't see this, but Circe is the least developed character in the movie. Yeah, true. But see, that's the thing. Originally, from what it seems like throughout the movie, it seems like Icarus was supposed to be the leader should something happen to Ajax. It's because he betrayed Ajax is why Cersei became the de facto leader. Anybody else? No, it's her love for humans is what is the reason why Ajax chose her. Well, here's the problem for the movie, though. In order for us to believe that, to, you know, be invested in that connection, we have to see Cersei enjoying life, loving humans, and they only give us five seconds of this in a flashback montage like two hours and 15 minutes or so into the movie i know it's very little but again it comes to the same thing too many characters too many stories all need to be brought together not everybody's getting the time that they deserve well the other thing with her too is and the rest of them look at her like she has three heads when she says oh we could help them do it quickly humans could colonize another planet are you kidding me how, how does somebody who's been alive for 7,000 years and seen so much have an idea that stupid and naive? It's desperation. I can't see a person who would come up with that as a leader. Mm -hmm. Nothing about her spoke of leadership. It has nothing to do with her being a woman and everything to do with a poorly written character. Yeah, but I think also part of it is the point that she wasn't a leader. She was never supposed to be the leader. There's not enough depth for that to come through. I guess. And, you know, on the flip side, Icarus is also underdeveloped. Yeah. And 
Madden here, he's not stoic. Being stoic is a character choice. So he's not stoic. He's not broody. He's just nothing. And this suicide at the end felt like a cop-out too. And of course, very poetic. He flew too close to the sun. But I don't know how the movie wanted us to feel about him at the end. Is, is he a coward? Is he just a broken person? What's, what's going on here? It's because the character wasn't fleshed out that I just didn't feel anything. It meant nothing to me. Yeah, I agree. I was glad to see him off the screen. Yeah, same here. And even later on at the end, uh, when he apologizes to Cersei, we don't know what is he apologizing for. Mm -hmm. For killing Ajax? For being against Cersei? For trying to kill her? For failing? There's no nuance to him at all. So we've got a lot of relationships here. Uh, Romantic. We've got friendships. I'm not clear on how they've been having human relationships with when they don't age. I really loved what they did with Kingo and and his lineage. That made me laugh. Mm -hmm. But as for everybody else, I can't tell if they were letting some people know, if they were keeping secrets, because it's clear they're really bad at keeping their powers and identities a secret. Mm -hmm. I needed something to tell me how they were navigating that i mean kingo says that he says that he was tired of moving every five years when people realized that sprite wasn't aging right so yeah he did it for himself yeah that was no problem for his career so so the others may be doing that as well and when it comes to tina and gilgamesh they were living in the middle of nowhere yeah same thing with ajak again living in the middle of nowhere you know i love my husband I love him very much, but uh, 7,000 fucking years? I don't think so. (laughs) One of us ain't making it. (laughs) (laughs) So I give credit to Gilgamesh and Tina for, you know, sticking it out and for him to be taking care of her. That is true devotion. That relationship was lovely. It was. That was the most investment I had in the movie, was their relationship. Yeah, that's saying something when they are probably like the third most important relationship in the movie. Yeah. And there were a couple other, and this is all non-romantic stuff that had me scratching my head a little bit. So when we get the, the twist from Icarus, we have Kingo wanting to go with him and this whole thing fell flat because we haven't seen them together. We haven't seen them be friends ever. And Mm -hmm. this is where I said, no, 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 you can't do this. When Kingo says to Icarus, I'll follow you to the end as I always have. No, no, honey, no. Because that sounds way too much like I'm with you till the end of the line. And you can't say that to a guy who looks (laughs) just like Sebastian's dad. Yeah, it, again, it comes back to the same thing. Too many people, too many stories. They couldn't put it all in together. Yeah. It should have been a series. Yeah, and, and with Icarus and Ajax, same thing. I would have liked to, you know, explore Icarus more in that way. His feeling betrayed by Ajax, which is why X-Men is as compelling as it is because we understand 
even though he's a villain, we understand where Eric Lencher is coming from, where his rage mm-hmm. and sense of betrayal comes from. Yeah, there's a hint of that over here, but it's just not fleshed out. Yeah. And there was something similar with Fastos, too, where he says to Icarus, I've wanted to clip your wings for a long time. Like, like I just said, 7,000 years, shit happens. We needed to see some conflict amongst these people beforehand to better mm-hmm. lay the groundwork of this split that occurs of like who goes with who ideologically, why we needed, you know, personalities and conflict here. And Brian Tyree Henry gives a great performance. And I believe him in that moment when he says that, but there's just no basis for it. Yeah, true. It's a lot, like a lot of it is just implied and for us to just take and make of it what we will. Yeah. And this last point I have about characters, and I know, I just know you're going to feel the same way. So if Sprite is in love with Icarus, I need to know why. I think for her, it's more like hero worship. And he's a good looking guy. You know, she's perpetually stuck in that teenage body. We all have those crushes, right? Those larger than life, we think at the time, larger than life people that we have a crush on. Well, see, that's the problem I have here is that she may have that body, but she's not stuck in that mindset. She's a synthetic being. You know what I'm saying? So like... Mm -hmm. It can't be a matter of, you know, teenage hormones. I feel like not only, yes, the character is denied becoming a woman physically, although not really. I'm making an argument against myself by saying they're synthetic. Ah, It's frustrating. (laughs) What I mean to say is the others have moral arguments and beliefs about which side of this they want to be on. I want her to have reasons too, other than I love him. So I'm on his side and I need to know why, what she loves about him other than the superficial. But that's the point. She thinks she's mature. Yes, she's lived for 7,000 years, but seeing how she is, how petty she is and how she's constantly sabotaging Cersei's relationship with Dane by telling him the truth and expecting him to think these women are cuckoo and leaving and her hero worship of Icarus, it shows that she isn't actually mature. She's perpetually stuck in that teenage state. She's pretending to be a grown-up. I just don't know. You may very well be right. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I just don't know because the whole synthetic beings thing is throwing me off. And now I feel like I'm back to WandaVision wondering about genitalia. (laughs) I don't know what's happening. Wait. Oh, right. Uh Uh-uh. Not thinking about that. I'm so much more confused now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why that sex scene was so awkward and uncomfortable. Because he was a Ken doll? I don't know. Maybe. It's like something should be there. I don't know. I mean, we only saw the top half. We don't know what's below. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have weird dreams. This seems like a good time to move on to philosophy. (laughs) Sex and philosophy. The perfect combination. Oh, yes. So ladies out there, and I say ladies because no offense to men. If if some of you thought of this, great. I'm thrilled. But it's much more likely this would have clicked in women's heads. I couldn't help where my mind went with this whole plot of the Celestials, this concept of 
the celestial must be born in order for all of these new lives to live, but the old lives have to die. My brain went straight to abortion. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, sorry, Icarus, I can't be on your side because I believe in a woman's right to choose. So let me know on Twitter at Marvel Madams or email us, marvelousmadams at gmail.com. Who else thought about this? And, you know, the implications of what it meant for the movie. Do I think this was an intentional allegory? No. I think this movie stumbled onto a lot of themes and deeper potential topics, but I don't think it was intentional. Nonetheless, that's probably what I felt most. And it irked me a little bit because a big part of the abortion debate Because for our international listeners who might not know, there's a whole lot going on regarding abortion in the United States. And there are a lot of white male lawmakers who are trying to basically make us live in the handmaid's tale. So it's definitely become a hot button issue these days. Yeah, I'll be honest, that didn't pop into my head. I was thinking about some other stuff. Mm -hmm. The other stuff that's given me a headache. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if I give anyone a headache, I'm sorry. So Arisham says that intelligent beings on, uh, on any planet are basically food for the celestials to grow and be born. So this got me thinking that, yes, you know, as a human being, if someone says you're basically just food for a larger uh, being, and you have to die in order for them to survive, we'd obviously reject that. We don't want that. We're human beings. We're we're selfish, you know, and we are used to thinking that we are uh, at the top of the food chain. Well, not necessarily. And that, that actually tracks back a little to the abortion debate because there are lots of evangelicals in this country and others, and you know, devout Catholics in other countries who care way more about that baby in a woman's belly than the woman herself and see the woman as right. just the vessel and don't care about her rights right. and only the child. Okay, that's fair. And I I mean, it's not right. I'm saying that's fair from your perspective where right. you're coming from. Yeah. Just clarifying. No one thinks you're pro-life, Abe. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Never hurts to be clear. But I'm talking about humans as a whole. I'm not talking about only as women, because that's something that, again, men wouldn't be willing to think of themselves in that way, right? They're happy to think of a woman as an incubator, Uh but they wouldn't think of themselves as that, right? To be fair, plenty of women think that way too. Okay, that's fine. I'm not getting into the nitty gritties of it. I'm talking about the human species. Mm -hmm. Okay, with billions of people with billions of thought processes but as a whole nobody wants to be told you are food you need to die right no animal also wants to be that but yet we as humans we are we are cultivating and growing animals to feed ourselves you know we have chicken farms and cows and all sorts of animals that we grow we birth through artificial means, grow them and eat them, right? And that is the cycle of life. Mm -hmm. Yet, when it comes to another bigger being that is using us in the same way as we do chickens, we reject that. 
Yeah, there's an attempt here at a commentary on the human condition, but damned if I know what it is. <laughs> so yeah, so this actually got me thinking that are the ones who are trying to stop Tiamat from being born, are they wrong? Because it's our, you know, bias as humans to want to be saved. Or is the cycle that we are in wrong? It's something that Cersei speaks about, that it's an archaic cycle of life that needs to be stopped for a couple of billion people on one planet to die. And let's not forget the animals and the entire ecosystem to die for other billions of other planets to be born. It's the concept of just because this is the way something's always been done doesn't make it right. Correct. Is that the case? Or is it the case of selfishness, of wanting to save ourselves? Who's right? Who's wrong? And why did Arisham design the celestials to be born in this way by taking intelligent life? Okay, and if you take life, but why does it have to be intelligent life? Why can't it be any other kind of life? It can't just be the power of the sun or plants or gravity or whatever it is that he decides it to be. Huh, better question. Why was this celestial Zima even born at all? Because I don't see much intelligent life on Earth these days. Ha ha, ha ha. I couldn't resist. So yeah, so this is what came into my mind about what this whole movie is about. That's why I feel like there's so much to explore in this, but we couldn't because we're trying to get the characters to understand who they are. If this would have been a series, it would have been fantastic and, would have been, and it would have given us the chance to really explore these ideas, if unintentional or not. I feel like we were really shortchanged. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much here that they could have really dived into. Yeah. While Amy put on her philosopher's babushka, (laughs) I put on my true crime cap for a little while because... I take offense to the babushka, okay? (laughs) I am not 80 years old. Look, it was the first thing that came to mind because I've still got May fucking Parker in my head from the last month. Nope, I reject that. (laughs) So... As we got further into this movie, I was sitting there like rubbing my hands together. I said, ooh, this is a cult if I've ever seen one. We have a group of people who are led by a single leader who claims, and I say claims because they can't know for sure. Um, Obviously, Mm -hmm. we see it's the truth, but single leader who claims to be the only one who can speak to an otherwise unseen deity who gives everybody their orders. We have total devotion to the leader and the mission. No one's free to go until the leader allows them to go. And Mm -hmm. to cap it off, we've got matching outfits. (laughs) Well, yeah. And also it goes to the programming aspect of it as well, doesn't it? Very possibly. Yeah. And I mean, that's a good point because that's what cults are all about is programming their members. Correct. Now, there's one final big theme we haven't touched on yet, but I think it's super important, especially given the flashbacks we saw in this movie. Moral of story, white people are the fucking worst, aren't we? (laughs) Where the hell did you get that from? Tenochtitlan and Hiroshima. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And particularly with Hiroshima, I thought it was very interesting with Fastos there. We see a black man 
even though he's not human, even though I imagine he would have stayed the fuck out of the U.S. for a lot of decades. Interesting that we see a black man taking responsible for a horrific genocide, and that's what it was. I don't want to hear it from anybody saying that dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki was justified. Just get that out of my face. This was no, an- it never was justified, not at the least. Oh, no, but there's a lot of Western propaganda and a lot of people who believe that it was necessary and completely justified. He feels guilty because he helped with the technology for this. But in general, this is an act that Fastos had nothing to do with and that was committed by the oppressors of black people. I just found that interesting. Mm -hmm. And the final thing that I'll say here for the movie as a whole, especially this last half hour that just kind of felt interminable on the second watch, this movie relied too heavily on CGI and green screen. There wasn't any texture to it. It didn't feel real. I mean, yeah, I mean, the 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 stakes of it were so high, it couldn't possibly be realistic. And it is a Marvel movie. CGI is the name of the game. It was just too much. I think there were certainly things they could have done practically. They could have done on location. They could have done with more of a real feel, and they didn't. That's just me. Fair. All right, so we've got a couple things to look at here moving forward in the final scene of the movie and the two credit scenes that we get. I'm going to let you take the Eternals on the ship there. Okay, so basically, Druvik, Makari, and Tina are wondering what the hell happened to the others. And we get a scene with Harry Styles, otherwise known as Eros, who introduces himself as Thanos' brother. I am going to guess he's adopted. <laughs> well, the thing is here that in the comics, we know that Thanos is an Eternal as well, but he has some deviant genes in him, which is why he looks the way he does. And this actually got an interesting, should I call it conspiracy theory or fan theory? More like conspiracy theory in my mind. Oh boy, hold on. Let me, let me put down my true crime cap and put my tinfoil hat on. <laughs> Take off your babushka. I do not have a babushka. <laughs> Somebody out there who crochets, please make Amy a philosopher's babushka. Oh fuck you, man. Fuck you. <laughs> I really hate you sometimes. So this made me think that, okay, we know Thanos came, he did what he did, yada, yada, yada. What if, like, he always kept saying that everything should be balanced and he wanted to reduce half the population in order to have enough resources for everything across the universe. But if he's an eternal and possibly if he was sort of sidelined or an outsider because of the way he looks, because of his genes? What if he had half the information? What if he thought that the reason why these worlds were being destroyed was because of global warming or, you know, the universe, whatever they would call it at that planet, but not a celestial being born? What he did of cutting off half the life in the universe essentially stopped the births from happening because it hadn't reached the tipping point where the celestial could be born. So if anyone followed that, 
line of logic. I know it's sound. <laughs> I just can't pick it apart myself. Please let us know either uh, via Twitter or email. And lastly, we, of course, have uh, Dane Whitman, who has discovered he's the Black Knight. And in that post credit scene, that is the voice of Mahershala Ali, who will soon be playing Blade. Yep. And I cannot wait to see him. Well, at this point, I can't even think about Blade because I am so focused, one, on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, and two, Moon Knight. Yeah, and also part of me is willing to wait because that would be more Kit Harrington. And as much as he was, I mean, you know, he was good enough in this movie, I'm not looking forward to seeing more of him. You're going to be so upset if he's fantastic. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. And then before you know it, Loki season two will be here. And she's just oh going to be like, God. I'm done. I'm checking out. I need a break. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm done. I need a break right now. One episode is enough for me. I'm taking another two month break. She's <laughs> kidding, everyone. She's kidding. And of course, <laughs> when Moon Knight begins on March 30th, we will be covering it every week. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, we've reached the end of Eternals. I'll say it again. It is damn good to have you back, partner. Thank you. It's good to be back. And thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for our 100th episode celebration. Yes, that we just realized was happening two days ago. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least we realized before the episode. This is true. Yes, we are very excited about it. We've just been so busy that it kind of not slipped our minds, but we just didn't realize it was happening this soon. We thought we had a couple of more months because we apparently cannot count. Speak for yourself. When I counted, she didn't believe me. She's like, no way. (laughs) She's right. I had to go to our episode database and and count. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we will be discussing the amazing Spider-Man. Yep. In the meantime... We really do want to hear what you guys think of Eternals because there's a lot there to discuss. So come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And for more content, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend.